Good morning, brothers and sisters, who encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and in everything that you do under the grace and peace of God. Our sermon text this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 8 in the service folder. We'll read it, um, and you can meditate on it as I read, and then we'll, we'll take it apart and look at, at these words and what they mean in our lives. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is God's word for our consideration this morning. Do you know what I mean when I say that I come from a game family? Maybe some of you are nodding your heads. Dakota's nodding his head. I see some people over there nodding your heads. I see other people out there just rolling your eyes. <laughs> you game people take it too seriously. Really? Well, I am what I am. I come from a game family. We always played games, whether it was at a holiday, a vacation, a family was gathered around a table. We were on, doing scavenger hunts um, at Thanksgiving every year. We would play board games late into the night, and even, even today, um, we're a game family still. My son Judah will bring a bucket of old made cards and Uno and his favorite shoots and ladders, and we'll set it up and we'll play games. Hannah and I play Ten Pennies, a card game that she brings from her family over into the game family situation. We play games. We love games. And here's one thing about games, whether you're a game person or not, that you probably realize is that sometimes when you play games underneath one roof and, and one group of people play it for long enough, you develop what's called house rules, okay? Sometimes house rules are meant to make a game more fair, like the time when uh, Uncle Bob found a way out of paying Social Security in the game of life, a loophole, and then you made the house rule now. From now on, that's never going to happen again. Or sometimes house rules raise the stakes on a game. Who here has played Monopoly and made um, free parking into a jackpot? Huh? Anybody? Hands up. Yeah, admit it. That's not in the rule book. That's a house rule. You made that up. It's not there. My, brother, my older brother Jeremy and I would uh, play Monopoly, and we had other house rules that went along with that. Um, yeah, we're quirky people. Um, Any time that you would go around the board and you'd land on your own space that you already owned, if you neglected to say, how's business going, you had to pay $5 into the jackpot kitty in the middle. And if you passed go without saying, show me the money, you don't get $200. And so we're rushing the whole time to, to, to roll that dice before the other person could spit the words out because we knew that the house rules up the ante. My favorite was whoever wins the game has to clean up all the pieces, right? Except for if my older brother wins, then I clean up the pieces, right? House rules. Maybe you have them in your home. Maybe you don't. I wanted to bring that up to think about a higher level of house rules. A spiritual level, what house are you in spiritually? And whose roof 
are you under? If I were to take my house rules and I were to go over to, oh, I don't know, the Gould's house and bring my Monopoly board over, and if I started shouting out, show me the money, and I started just shouting out, uh, how's business going? Boy, Adam and Becky, they just look at me and think that I was crazy. It doesn't work under their house. You and I are not under our own house rules, are we, when it comes to God? We're underneath his roof, underneath his forgiveness, underneath his peace, and we play by his rules. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, this is how he starts it out. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. God's house rules. That word rules, you can circle that, you can underline that, because that's one of the key words here in this sentence when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To understand how we live underneath God's house, how we play by his rules, we understand that word. It's a Greek word that's used in in ancient literature. One time, this first century writer named Josephus uses this word to describe what was happening in these Jewish wars. And he would describe how how, how, how Caesar himself, the commander-in-chief of an army, would go into the barracks and he would rank how each person was doing, whether you were a foot soldier or whether you were a military general and strategist, he would go around and he would rule and determine who was doing well and who was performing and he would award them. And he would give them some sort of recognition. The commander-in-chief was ruling over his entire army, and every person from foot soldier to strategist wanted and yearned for his mission and his vision and did their best for their commander-in-chief. Christ rules in your heart. His mission and his vision and his peace is what rules our entire life. Now let me ask you this question, what rank are you in his army? We don't perhaps have a badge or have a military rank, but we all come from different places in life. One of us is a single mom on limited income. Another is making six-digit income. Another person maybe has just been laid off. Another person is a, a father. Another is a, another is a son or a student. We come from all of these different areas in life. And it says here in this verse, the peace of Christ rules in your hearts as you are members of one body from pulpit to pew and everywhere in between in the world. We are one body underneath Christ's roof. How's that going for you? If Jesus would come into your life, have you been living like one, as one body with each other? Have you been acting like you love each other, like one body, the way that Christ loved you? Have you been the father, the mother, the boss, or the employee that he's asked you to be as part of one body of Christ, being infinitely patient and loving and forgiving? And the second question that he brings up in 15 is this, and be thankful. You oil tycoons, you leaders of Fortune 500 companies, are you thankful for what God has given you and the place in life and the rank in life that he's put you there? And are you thankful for the right reasons? And the same question goes for if you're making minimum wage 
at Taco Bell. How are you thankful for the place in life that he's put you in the body of Christ? I got to say that if I would honestly think about Jesus, my commander-in-chief coming into my life and looking at all those areas, I would be scared, right? To think about how I haven't lived at peace with others. How I haven't been thankful like he asked me to be thankful here. But Caesar's not coming into our barracks. You know who's coming into our barracks? Your Savior, Jesus. And this is what it says about your leader just in the first chapter of Colossians. If we're going to understand what it says here about the peace that rules in our life, we have to understand where that peace comes from. And that comes from uh, the peace that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Here it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see that the rule of Christ has less to do with the laws of Jesus, and it has to do more with what Paul just says about his peace, the love of Jesus that rules in our life, the love of Jesus that we hear about in open and honest communication in worship and congregation life, life around the word of God. This is what it means for us. It means that if Jesus is so in love with coming down to us, my dirty soul as it is, and he's in love with coming in there and dwelling in it with his spirit, that I fall in love with dwelling with you. And you fall in love with dwelling with me as dirty scumbags as we are, that we love each other and we dwell with each other because of the peace of Christ that he puts in our hearts. It means that The encouragement that Jesus gives us in his gospel promises, underneath his roof that he encourages us by, we fall in love with his encouragement so that we want to go out and reach out to the person next to us and say, that person is struggling and I want to help. It's writing the card, it's sending the text message or the email saying, I've noticed that you need encouragement and whatever it is, it's falling in love with the encouragement that comes from him. It also means underneath Jesus' roof, underneath his house rules, That because he forgives you, you fall in love with what? Forgiveness. And that I can't hold any grudge against you and you can't hold any grudge against me because it's all covered by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. It means that when it comes to being thankful, God is thankful to make a home with us that we fall in love with thankfulness and we fall in love with whatever rank in life that he's put us in. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, he says, since as members of one body, in other words, as a body of people that gather together regularly, living in the world together, we work together in harmony, you were called to peace, and you are thankful underneath the love of Christ that rules our life. Here it is, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. That word gratitude here uh, is translated in this translation as, as a thankfulness, but it's, it's interesting that there's another translation, the King James Version, an older translation that used to translate it this way, singing to God with grace in your heart. Grace is, is a free gift. 
And if we want to understand how we communicate with God at these I Love Sundays, if we want to understand how we communicate and we do life together as a community called Holy Word, or in whatever community, a Christian community that you're in, you have to understand that word grace. You go way up the river and understand where it comes from so that you can understand why we do what we do and how we live in grace with one another. It's the grace that comes from Jesus. And it comes this way. It comes through the word of God, the teaching, the, ad, uh, the admonishing, and it comes through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Two things that Jesus did when he walked on this earth that he loved to do to encourage us. Number one, he loved to teach and admonish. That is, he loved to take what God's word says and is and apply it to people's lives. An example of that, well, it says in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus went walking through Galilee, and as he walked, he went into the synagogues and he taught people about the kingdom of God. That's a call to us leaders in a community of faith to step up and to take the knowledge that has been given to us and to, 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 to hand that down. That's a call to parents to teach your children about the values that we have, not just morals, but the values that we have because we have a God that forgives us. It's a call to Sunday school teachers. It's a call to you people out there that are leading connect groups. Today is a lot of things. It's a new member welcome. It's uh, I love Sunday series, and it's also connect group Sundays where we talk about going into each other's homes to teach to guide, to encourage each other. Jesus was in love with encouraging. It was Nicodemus who came to Jesus, like Pastor Patterson read in the second lesson today. And Nicodemus asked a question about how Jesus was doing what he was doing and why. And Jesus came back, and he didn't thump him over the head with the Bible, did he? But he taught him. It's a call for our community to take those people that come to us and are seeking and have honest questions about spirituality. And not to shut them out, but to dialogue with them, right? To have a conversation with them and lead them back to that same crown jewel in the middle of John 3, 6, John 3, verse 16, right? Jesus loved to admonish. Not because he liked demeaning people, but he liked to take people where they were at and guide them back to the kingdom of God. Like the Pharisees that he one time calls, he calls, whitewashed walls. On the outside, they were all cleaned up, but on the inside, they were dirty because they thought that it was by their own works or that it was by their own deeds that they could get to heaven and that they were better than everybody else. But Jesus came to them and he corrected them. He admonished them because he wanted to see them in heaven. He wanted to see them in God's house under the house of peace. And so it's a call to us to humbly give people that are straying away from us in, in, in lifestyle or in any other way to, to, to humbly go to them and to say, listen, I care for you enough that I'm reaching out to you. And it's a call for those people that feel on the inside that you're a hair that's sticking out this way from the body of Christ that, that, that is going another direction to really reevaluate ourselves and to say, is what I'm doing putting me in a place of danger and can I take encouragement from other people to get me back on the right track? Jesus loved two things. He loved teaching and, and, and correcting people for the right reasons under the love of Christ. And then the second thing that he loved, he loved singing. And he still loves singing today. It says this, you do this all singing to God with, um, you, you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. 
At the end of his life on earth, right before he died on the cross, Jesus was gathered together with his disciples in an upper room. And he had the heavy pain of about to go to the cross, the heavy pain of about to suffer the pain of hell. And in a few moments, he would be in the garden praying to God that he would take away the pain that was coming his way. And so you can imagine the, the, the stress on his heart, the emotions that he was going through. But do you know what he did with his disciples at that last meal before he went into the garden? After they were done eating, it says they sang a hymn which was probably a psalm to encourage one another. Jesus loves singing. And he loves it when we sing. (laughs) He loves it when we come together and we sing, not just because, oh, I like this song or I like that song, but he loves it when we sing when we're around each other to encourage one another, just like those disciples and Jesus may have been encouraged around that table before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting because Jesus isn't done singing. He, it says in Hebrews, um, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And there the writer to the Hebrews says that this is Jesus that's singing. Today he's singing because he's so encouraged by being under a house with you. And so when we come together in worship, we sing songs, not because of our own preference. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, old hymns and new hymns, contemporary songs, everything based around the Spirit to encourage each other and to build each other up. There's a couple of things that we think about when we come into worship. If you ever wanted to know why we choose the hymns that we choose, we choose the songs and the meditations on these three um, guidelines. Number one, Let the gospel dominate the message of the song that you're singing. That means let the truth of God's word be there in the the essence of that song. Number two, let the people participate. That means encourage one another. Like Paul is talking about here, encourage one another by singing out. And number three, take advice from the history of the church as you pick old songs, new songs, and everything in between, because this isn't the church's first rodeo. We've been doing worship for thousands and thousands of years, and there's wisdom there. Now, one of the reformers of the Reformation in the 16th century, Martin Luther, he had this to say about songs. He says, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. And who here hasn't, in their darkest moment, turned on your favorite hymn or your favorite spiritual song to be encouraged? Who hasn't taken a CD of a song that's in church and say, I need to hear that again this week? I'm encouraging you, wherever you are on the singing scale, to find that song this week. And maybe you find it this week when you're listening to the radio, or maybe you find it today when you're listening to a song, but to share that song with somebody else, forward it to them, encourage them to play that song, and tell them the reason why you get encouragement from it. Now, I see some of you out there that you're saying, like, Pastor, I I can't sing, you know that? And and I'm like, well, yeah, we can't all sing. I'm aware of that. We can't all sing. It's not a talent that everybody has, but this is what the next verse is about. And whatever you do, whatever you do, it says, 
whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a hymn verse that I'm reminded of here that comes in in the red hymnal in front of you, number 573. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus, you can say he died for all. You can say it all by whatever you do. You can say it all because it's not about the tone that's coming out of your voice, but it's what? The peace that's in your heart. And you can do that at the cubicle at work. You can do that at home. You can do that on the road and whoever you're put with. You can do that in everything you think and you say and you do. Because, the last verse says, you do it all in the name of, or I'm going to say, with the heart of, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, A story about a good friend of mine. I had a phone call, actually, this week from my Aunt Jan. She's not my real aunt, but we call her Aunt Jan because, because, well, you're going to find out. She's pretty close to our family. She called me to give me a hard time about my Dallas Cowboys and how great her green and gold team was. I have forgiven her for that, but uh, we got talking and uh, she reminded me of a story, and it, 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 a story about somebody that came into her life by a very different way. Uncle Roger and Aunt Jan are very special to our family and in our life. Uh, many years ago when I was in high school, I went away to high school in Wisconsin, away from my family for hundreds of miles, and My mom and my dad, my family, close family, didn't get to go to a lot of the special events like my football games or my basketball games or whatever it was. They didn't get to be there. But uh, Uncle Roger and Aunt Jan lived in the area. And Uncle Roger was a big sports fan. And he would come to my football games. On Friday nights, uh, away games in Milwaukee, I could see him still huddled over in his jacket, standing on the sidelines, never sitting, always standing. He was just a healthy, go-get-him type of guy. He He always wanted to stand up. Um, and I could see him there after every game. He wasn't, he wasn't loud. He's was a really humble guy, kind of quiet. But he would come up to me afterwards and just say, good game, and I'll be at the next one. And he'd give me a couple uh, words of encouragement, and then he would be on his way. But I always remember him being there, whether it was on the court or on the field, whatever. He was at those sports events. He was like a surrogate dad at those events. When everybody else after the game would run to their families, I would just go over and talk to Uncle Roger. Well, the years went by, went to college far away from Aunt Jan and Uncle Roger, and all of a sudden I got a phone call from my mom. Uncle Roger has died. Now you've got to understand, Uncle Roger was a perfectly healthy, middle-aged man. His idea of, of vacation was climbing up a thousand feet on a mountain. He loved activity, and he had a perfectly healthy body. What had happened was he was on a bicycle, and he hit a crack, and he fell over on the bicycle and hit his head in just the right way, where it sent him into a spiral that he couldn't survive. You can imagine Aunt Jan's heartbreak, our whole family's heartbreak. I never got to say goodbye, and I never got to say thank you for being that surrogate dad that Roger was. I will when I get to heaven. The neat part about Uncle Roger's story is that his heart kept living. 
And they took this heart of this perfectly healthy middle-aged man and they, they put it into somebody that needed a heart. And if they didn't have that heart, that man's life would have ended. Jan told me this week the story about that man. His name is John. His wife's name, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't know his wife's name. He has a wife as well. He and his wife were the first to call Jan after the surgery. And do you know what they said? The first two words out of their mouth when they called her? Thank you. Thank you for the life that you gave up because it helps us live a life today. In fact, from that moment on, they would send Christmas cards every year to Jan, like family, saying thank you, and Roger's living on in the heart of John today. And on Valentine's Day, they would send her a heart card to thank her for the heart that she gave up, the life that she gave up, so that they could continue to live. Do you see how a heart transplant completely changes our attitude? Jesus has given you his heart. He gave you everything on the cross, and he gives you his heart so that you can live what it says, giving thanks to the Father through him with his heart. And that's why we communicate with God. That's why we come together. That's why we put up with each other. That's why we admonish each other. That's why we teach each other. That's why we learn from each other. That's why we sing songs together is because we have his one heart. And my prayer is that you keep his heart with you, that heart transplant, the heart of peace that rules all of your life, whether you're a game person or not. Stay in God's house, under his roof, and by his rules, live under his grace. Amen.